Hello and welcome. This is the Loud and Clear podcast by Richards Lerma. We are a multicultural advertising agency based in Dallas, Texas. I am your co-host today. My name is Emily Puig and I am a digital strategist. Hi, I am Francisco Cárdenas, helping out with Emily, hosting this exciting podcast. Today, we do have a a guest that is definitely worth getting excited about. We are here today with Cam Kelly. He is the Chief Marketing Officer at Complexity Gaming, and he was actually nice enough to come down to Richard's Lerma the other day and tell us a little bit about what Complexity is doing, a little bit about esports and uh, make it make it more accessible to us as advertisers. So thank you, Cam, for being here. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. You guys actually came to me, so that makes it a whole lot <laughs> yeah. easier. We love your space. <laughs> what thank an amazing you. space you have. So thank you. I was going to say, one of the things you talked about when you came in about a week ago or so was how incredible this space was. <laughs> so we immediately were like, we got to get there. We got to find an excuse. Let's get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> um, so would you mind telling us a little bit about what makes this space so incredible? Because <laughs> it is awesome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, this is a, a brainchild of about two years of planning and 16 years of experience. I think the privilege of having someone like Jason Lake as your CEO and founder gives you the ability to take learnings from each era within esports and so we got to think about holistic player care in a new way we got to think 10 years down the line because of our set ownership um, so everything in the space is, is, is designed to be next gen in esports our, from our training facility to the mind gym um, to the decompression porch the way we're looking at replay review um, the space is really um, the culmination of 16 years of really hard work um, across a number of different individuals a number of different games and titles so um, it's, it's a dream come true. We were in temp offices off of John Hickman for about a year after we were kind of here and waiting for the construction to be completed. And with growth and the tightness of about four offices and 16 people, this is definitely a dream come true for us. I'm absolutely amazed uh, that in the world of gaming, there's such an infrastructure, right? And, and, and a lot of these led, as I understand it, by you guys mm-hmm. to be able to cater to gamers and kind of build professionals that are out there and kind of like making a name for themselves in the space. Just the infrastructure that you guys have is pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, you see a lot of content houses and stuff like that in the space. For us, the professionalization um, of the industry and the player care and, and treatment of players from a similar to traditional sports perspective um, in terms of access and performance technology, that's really what we're trying to embody here. Um, hopefully it, c- it comes across. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And no, obviously you have, you've been with Complexity for a while now, so you've gotten to help shape the space and, and the company for what it is. But before that, you actually have an agency background, which is obviously something that we were super interested in. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to hear a little bit more about that before we, <laughs> we jump into what matters to people who care about advertising. Yeah. How, did you, how did you get into this space? Yeah, like, it's, it's funny, man. Like we started, I started in PR. I thought going to school, I was like, oh man, PR is how you change the world, how you become a president. And then a few years later, I found out that terrible PR is a great way to become president. Um, <laughs> So I uh, started building media lists, pitching media was miserable, had a, a five hour daily round trip commute to downtown Chicago, um, was introduced to new business, was working on Microsoft for their midnight game launches, that was my first real exposure to working in gaming professionally. Um, Were you a gamer? Oh, always, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you hit high school, in before that, but you hit high school and it's like, oh, I was a basketball player tried out varsity, it was good enough to be on the team, and they were like, bro, you're 5'2". And so, like, all of my dreams, all of my dreams of, like, you know, D1 playing pro, being the next, you know, the white Muggsy Bogues, or whatever that even looks like, 
um, just kind of went out the window. But gaming was always that that way for me to flex my desire for competition and also my desire to run um, underground gambling rings while playing. Um, you <laughs> so know, definitely your, your destiny oh, yeah. was sports, but you didn't know it was going to be esports. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, and then, you know, getting down to Dallas, I was assigned this massive study on sports agencies. What are the white spaces and where would, where would UEG, which was a merger between Edelman and UTA, um, where was that white space? Um, Chris Evison, who's at Lerma, assigned that project to me. Um, and I was like, esports, it's esports. We're not going to compete with Octagon or any of those other guys. So it was huge Octagon. Oh, yeah, you're, you lose 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a fun experiment. And when I came out of it, I was like, look, just let me pitch everyone. Um, and around that time, Overwatch League and Blizzard were planning um, Overwatch League. And it was a billion dollar investment, franchise, city centric teams. And so I pitched it to pretty much everybody on our client list. But it wasn't really until Toyota um, where we found a narrative that made a lot of sense, uh, applying let's go places to a league that didn't exist um, and talking about the player's experience was a way for us to build a really strong partnership there and it's still going on now. Um, and so that was step one. Step two was being the, creating the first partnership in, in FIFA Esports that wasn't an officially licensed partner of FIFA's. Um, and so that was the second one and then I was like, hey! Give me an esports division and a team of three, and they were like, "No." Um, so, I so you were building that bridge, right? Like yeah. that bridge between brands and what esports was, and kind yeah. of like bringing relevance to the space of CMOS, yeah. of CPGs and yeah. stuff. Like that. That's amazing. Trying to, and it's easier than people. It's easier than people realize. I mean, you you approach you approach football fans in a way that's um, you know, and you hate saying this to people who are intelligent, but you want to speak organically yeah. and authentically <laughs> in the channels that are already organic to their experience and their environment. Right. It feels weird having to say that to people, but it's no different in esports. You just have to respect the audience and, and how intelligent they are, um, and you can make some really, really impactful programming in esports for sure. It's easy. Absolutely. And uh, uh, you've obviously kind of been with esports now for the majority of your career. Mm -hmm. How have you seen esports change? You know, I think for a lot of us, it feels like this is a new hot trend, but you know, what is esports today? How is that different than what it, what it was when you got in the space? So esports actually started in 1972. Uh, there was a $50 Rolling Stone subscription. That, that was, was shocking to me when I yeah. got yeah. And, and you know, it's 40 years in the making. Um, so I think a lot of people don't acknowledge that fact. Um, we've seen it go from basement tournaments and at the Dallas Hilton to um, you know the explosion of Twitch and MLG and other people who have been foundational in, in building the space out. Um, what the misconception is is that esports is a term that you can use as an umbrella term, but it's like saying university sports. And so people disacknowledge um, that 81% of this audience only follows one title or at best one genre. Um, and so you, you start to get into this mode of you say esports like you say university sports, but you're gonna you're gonna converse with an audience in, in college football or basketball in a very different way than you way it would in in field hockey or lacrosse. Right. Um, so I think that's that's really what I'm hoping to see is instead of us saying 2.3 billion esports fans globally, we say 250 million FIFA esports fans globally. So you start creating a more comprehensive ecosystem within that umbrella, right? Yeah, and I think it's like the same thing that people started to do when they saw LGBTQ as an audience they wanted to target. It's like, oh, they must all have the same general interests. Yeah. And how offensive, like how, how um, you know, how assuming can you be, 
you know, to assume that a fan of a of a MOBA like League of Legends is has the same demo and psychographic behavior as someone who's a fan of Madden. That's super interesting, yeah. and I think I think we we can relate to that being a multicultural agency, and you know, when we talk to Hispanics, and in certain you know parts of the country, you cannot talk to them the same way, and especially the U.S. being uh, so inclusive of so many countries, you know, you cannot put them all in a bucket. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. What are the spaces? Because as we try to talk to our clients to jump into esports, um, we sometimes struggle in, in, in explaining the opportunity and, 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 and the spaces that they could play in and how it's relevant to them. Yeah, and it's always hard because it's new media. You know, I remember I did a, I helped, um, my old man is the CMO and CIO at, at PVH, and they were working on um, a, a Wounded Warrior project stream with Castro and, and Aaron Rodgers. And it was wonderful, wonderful stream, super successful, 70,000 viewers, just an amazing, um, an amazing program. And then they got the metrics report afterwards and you have these really intelligent, like super successful people in media have no idea how to assess a Twitch media recap. When you're looking at something like ACCUs, probably means nothing to most people, but it's average concurrent, it's average concurrent users, average concurrent users or viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have other things like, um, Total, total minutes watched and then you have a ratio between that and the total unique viewers to understand how much minutes watched per unique viewer and all of a sudden they're just kind of like what does it all mean Basil and it's and it's, it's so the really, metrics are very different it's incredibly different but it's no different than if you were to look at OTT on CBS or if you were to look at OTT during the World Cup or the Olympics it's the same general platform um, you just have to understand the new metrics and maybe it's not 99.6 million watched the Super Bowl but you know three million uniques over six hours um, of content and maintaining an audience of, of 70,000 people is a, a, a pretty substantial um, pretty substantial positive outcome and also the engagement is significantly higher you're giving your fan base direct access to your brand and what you're trying to accomplish are the media companies like understanding this like when when you know you know we're, we're more of a creative agency we, we work a lot with several media companies have us, uh, initiative mm-hmm. um, I, and that's super relevant to them right like that's a number that they could come in into a client and kind of uh, convince them of jumping sure. into the space are they yeah. do they understand these metrics and how to how to measure these programs in your perspective? some do some do some of the problem is too is you know the way that some of the stuff is streamed um, across different platforms leads one to believe that there are some faulty practices in place um, you know, if you're streaming in China, some of the numbers aren't accurate. Mm. Um, you know, there are boosted streams where people are using ad placement of a stream, so all all visitors on the site are counted towards viewership um, mm-hmm. of something. So there is some inaccuracy there. I don't think everybody understands it in the same way. I don't think everybody understood Facebook and Instagram. Right. Um, it's just an adjustment, and if you're not willing to adapt and, and be flexible and put in your continuing education, then you probably have no business in, in media in the first place because linear is not working. It hasn't worked. You know, it's, it, it really isn't working unless it's a, a, a really pivotal event that you can capture a lot of eyeballs and, and hit the ad meter in a, in a way. Speaking that, of the Super Bowl. Right yeah, now. <laughs> you know, I think that there's big moments where you can capture it. Um, not the same, though. I can tell you exactly who watched that stream, their, their perspective, how they viewed it, what they thought of your chatbot messaging and your rotator and the messaging of your overall campaign. You can see it in real time and have a log that's recorded. Um, and so that's something that clients care about. That's yeah. awesome. Right. And they can see it in real time. Yeah. They can be in the yeah. chat. I think clients have a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun when I, we did the Kiwi project to see them engaging in the chat and seeing their brand on mic shields and step and repeats and stuff and hear the, the messaging and see fans' reaction to tips and tricks. It's just so many more 
It's so much more 360 than you know media placement, brand campaign, on pack, and rinse and repeat. You know, mm-hmm. there's just so much more you can do with it that's so much more valuable to the fan base, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm sure there's a media agency that's angry at me for saying. <laughs> no, but do you no. feel do you feel the brands that you've pushed? I'm mm-hmm. sure that when you come back with some of these results, like are super excited and it's new for them to socialize it within their offices, like. Yeah, and I mean, like Toyota was a great example. <clears throat> they went from being you know, number four or five on the list of automakers within halfway through the first season that we did the partnership with, with Overwatch League. Um, we did a brand lift study halfway through and then again at the end, and they had a 17% increase in affinity and purchase intent with an audience that were 69% of them are planning on purchasing a car in the next six to 12 months. Yeah. So you're talking about you're not only you're hitting the right audience, but you're hitting the right audience at the right time with the right messaging. Um, in, insanely impactful when you think about that's, that's growth you wouldn't get in any other industry. Because in a lot of traditional sports, it's replace pizza partner, replace X partner, replace yeah. this partner. You're not able to say, <clears throat> my conversion for this audience is measurable at scale. Um, and that's what's really exciting, I think, about esports is, is you can be hyper-targeted and you can be hyper-aggressive with fan bases in a way that would be deemed probably inappropriate or overly aggressive yeah. in other in other media platforms. And I think audience specifically for esports is something that's fascinating. Kind of what you mentioned earlier, for any one person to be interested in esports could mean they watch one of any game, one of any genre. Sure. So that's another hurdle that we have to face with clients. It's explaining to them that, you know, the stereotypical gamer that they've had in their head for years might not be who they see as their audience because it's not but that doesn't mean that that person who's 12 years old playing in their room is the only person watching esports what segments are are in this space that maybe we don't hear enough about that we don't talk to enough that we don't speak to authentically in a way that we really should it's probably the best question anybody can ask right it's like if you take the so we were privy to a wonderful study that was done in the space and there's 127.8 million americans that are regularly watching and engaging in esports content um, and if you take those that 127 million and you spread it across into five unique segments, what you get is your core gaming audience, which is kind of 13 to 17, and then you see a little bit of a split, and they come back at about 24 through early 30s, 32. Um, and that's kind of your diehard. They're watching everything. They're engaging in everything with their specific title of choice. Um, they're driven by hedonism, power, dominating their social circle. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically what I was. What I, after basketball, that was me. Um, and then you have this wonderful group that's coming up as people who grew up in gaming as legacy parents. Um, Chris, myself, mm-hmm. both would be considered a, a, as legacy parents because you're leveraging gaming as a platform to teach lessons, whether it's conflict resolution or how to deal with loss or um, how to win with grace or whatever that is. Um, we're seeing that be a, a key driver for that segment. And they're, they're a little bit older, right? That's your post-college, early, with married with kids or unmarried with kids. Um, and that's a, that's a great group to keep an eye on because they still hold the majority of purchasing power while the core group is going to take right. it over the next two years. Um, and then there's a tertiary group, fun with friends. They're just victims of it. You know, they know that in order to maintain a social presence, they have to play Fortnite because it's playable social media. Um, the two more interesting groups for me are female dominated and they're gaming native. So you have um, mobile moms, as we call them. They're playing a lot. Um, are they engaging with content as much? No. But if you look at it correctly, there's wonderful uh, companies like Tapjoy and others that are creating programmatic media spends for organizations where they're placing you in front of targeted audiences based on what apps and games that they play. 
Um, so that's a great audience from an advertising perspective because you're you're hitting them. That 15 minutes that they're escaping, they're you have, there. They have yeah. you have their attention. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. More exciting though is a group that we kind of have deemed like all the single ladies is what it's <laughs> kind of called. Um, yeah, not Beyonce reference. Um, <laughs> Never wrong with Beyonce. Yeah, right. I'm trying to play to the play to, play to the audience. We'll put we'll put some uh, yeah. music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, and that audience is interesting because they have disposable time. Um, they also have disposable income, but more importantly, they have disposable time. The problem is, is there's not enough representation in that audience where they feel like they're spoken to directly by someone who speaks for them. We still have a, an influx of women who are who are creating content, great content, but they're creating content for an 85% male audience. They're not creating content as an archetype for young girls to follow or to be an example. And what we found is a wonderful study Twitch did on their female audience, and it just says, and no offense to the homies, but there's they want more depth. Like dudes are pretty simple. The number one reason we watch esports is to do and use what the pros do and use. Mm-hmm. What women want is so much more um, holistic than that. They want the in real life experience. They want to know where you got that outfit from, or what type of makeup you're using mm. for this stream, or what shade that is on your lipstick, or, or what you know what your favorite apparel is, or what song you're listening to. There's, there's deeper layers. So many more, and yeah. I think it just a kind of a. You know, we've always advertised and appreciated the difference between genders and difference between ethnic groups in terms of preferences, um, but we still have failed to do it um, in gaming in a really strong and impactful way. I've been trying for a long time to get people to see that making all female teams to play in all female events is the exact opposite of a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually regressive. It's not progressive. Until we have women at the events, it's not like football where you can hang on some old patriarchal perspective that there's a physicality difference that limits a woman's ability to compete in the NFL or the MLB or um, they don't belong in here. And it's like, you know, that's fucking dated. Right. Um, gaming is an opportunity for us to say, dude, that's that's not applicable here. We're talking about cognitive function. Women use a higher percentage of their brain. You know, I think there's a whole lot of reasons that Shay that showcase, in fact, long term women have a have actually a stronger position in gaming and esports than men do, I think, personally. And it's not the perception, right? Like people when you think of a gamer, I mean, I didn't used to go before meeting you like and, and, and kinda like going into it. I never imagined a woman or certain certain you know, certain groups within it, you imagine a guy with a cap It's definitely and, a male stereotype. Right. And and I will say actually, one, I couldn't agree with you more and I think that the <laughs> the opportunity for women in this space is uh, unbounded and that's that's really exciting for me it's one of the reasons that I was so excited to come and talk to you and, and learn more and another thing that I noticed actually about this space is that it is completely gender neutral mm-hmm. I have walked around here now for, for an hour or so and it is built so that anyone who walks in this door feels like they could be a gamer yep um, and thank that, you for noticing I'm assuming yeah. that's very intentional <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, that's nice um, first person actually to call that out yeah no because and I know we've talked about this a little bit um, but before we started uh, recording so I'd, I'd love to you to dive a little bit more into what you're doing to educate the community male and female about how they can get into this space how they can be a gamer or be on one of your teams. I, LGBT I would, also, no? We yes, talked a little bit about that. Absolutely. This this opportunity, uh, this space that you've made to, to create opportunities for anyone that walks in the door is, is very noticeable. So I'd, I'd love to, to hear more about that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When we did our summer camp, so we work with GameStop, obviously GameStop Performance Center. They have a lot of in- input and value added to the programming that we do here. Um, and it's almost a little bit clandestine or like sneaky because gaming is the vehicle. 
right? Like I can attract a community of, of you know, the next generation really easily by saying we're running a pro Fortnite camp. And it's like, but then I, but then once I have you here, it's an opportunity for me to do so much more than that. We get to talk about personal brand development. We get to talk about, you know, easy to, easy to do, easy to execute content creation on platforms like Instagram or TikTok. We get to build a logo for you. We get to help you understand what you embody as an individual and the power you hold um, within the platform that you create for yourself. <clears throat> But beyond that, we get to talk about preventative stretching. We get to talk about repetitive stress injuries. We get to talk about misogyny, toxicity, homophobia. We get to talk about all of those things with the kids who are going to be shaping what that culture looks like. And maybe it's only 25 now. Uh, you know, we did a, a, a small group for our first camp. We weren't even open to the public yet, but we are so eager to engage this community around us so that we can start building these better habits because that is what it is. I think there's an age-old saying in... Um, in cause and philanthropy where they say $25 now is $2,500 later. And for us is a changed individual with an expanded perspective now is a change agent for expanding perspectives then. And there's nothing more valuable to me as, you know, it's a, a marketer or a brand builder or whatever you want to call me. Definitely a brand builder <laughs> after seeing this, right? Um, you know, after, after you, you take all of that stuff away, we're not curing cancer here, we're not solving world hunger or anything like that, but if we can have a lasting impact on the individuals who come through this space and we can touch those lives and they can then expand that out, um, that's taking your accountability and responsibility with the eyes and the ears, hearts and minds of the next generation really seriously. And if we were to do anything other than that, it's a disservice to ourselves, the space we built, our ownership group, and more importantly, the fan base and the community around us. Because if we're not fixing um, homophobia, if we're not fixing toxicity, if we're not impacting that and saying, hey man, esports is an opportunity for us to do what traditional sports has taken hundreds of years yeah. to figure out. We still can't have a gay athlete in the NFL without immense and incredible ridicule mm -hmm. for that, that individual. Same in MLB, for the most part in NBA, and, and basically every other major sport. We get this is an opportunity for us to just do so much better, and it's to say that you know we get to fix that, and maybe that extends broader throughout culture. I hope it does. Um, so that would be an answer of, of those because we had the question, and, and that was coming from our founder Pete Lerner. He's mm -hmm. like, "What are we doing for the amateurs?" And it, it, it seems that right now you touched uh, several times on the point of like you want it to spill over, right? Like whoever comes here, kind of go out there and be evangelist of good habits of mm -hmm. inclusiveness and kind of change the perception of the sport as we sit here uh, uh, almost across the street from the Dallas Cowboys yep. uh, headquarters which you guys are kind of tied together in a way, right? Yeah, I mean we're the most integrated uh, traditional sports owned esports franchise. They've been an incredible ownership group in investing number one in our long term in a long-term relationship. We're unique in esports. I don't spend 80% of our budget every year trying to find ways to increase our valuation to trick more investors <laughs> into, yes. into giving us more money that we then spend towards getting more investors and becomes this terrible cycle of, you know, by, by next year, I think people are on their Series D, E, and F funding efforts. Yeah. And it's like, hey, when's the return? You change coming? your focus, right? Yeah. What do you want to do? Yeah, I mean, I think that it just, you get, you, you end up, having a responsibility more towards the stakeholders and investors than you do the fan base and the culture. Um, so that's great, you know, and I think them giving us access to 
um, them being the Jones family and the Goff family and then the larger Cowboys Nation, we have access, our players eat at the training table. They live in luxury apartments two minutes away from here. Um, we don't do team houses because no one wants to live with their coworkers. That's totally weird. <laughs> I mean, I love my guys, but after 12, 14 hours a day, I'm like, I right. suffered with that a lot when I was an intern. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you can never leave. Um, but you know, it's a, uh, you know, Cowboys Fit access personal training. Uh, Baylor Scott and White Sports Medical Facility, um, UNT for our players who are doing continuing education. I mean, you name it, and we are totally woven into the fabric of all things Cowboys. They, in fact, the same people who designed, uh, from an architecture perspective, I Crave, um, and constructed MyCon, um, their Cowboys Club and their facility, were the same people who worked with us for 18 months to design this space. Um, all here so, in Dallas, Texas. Oh yeah, yeah cool. super privileged in that regard. So, um, you know, it's a, it's definitely a, a blessed experience to think about. I get to work on what this space looks like 10 years from now. I don't have to think about what it looks like six months from now, because yeah. that, in the grand scheme of things, is such a small speck in, right. in what we're trying to do. Your, your investment in your players, as you just mentioned, you know, getting to go eat, you know, across the street with the Cowboys, they, they live just down the road. You've really made it so that this is not a fad. It's not something they do for fun on the weekends. This is, this is what a real professional esports team looks like. And that's something that I don't think a lot of other people or the, the average, uh, the average Joe walking down the street has insight into, you know, what all goes into making a team like this because this is not something that happened <laughs> overnight that could not be more apparent it's not just one guy behind a computer no right? it's not and I think that's a testament to Jason right like when you have someone like Jason who was one of the original dudes who has invested hundreds of thousands of his own dollars before there was this insane influx of capital into esports and saying I'm not afraid to fail I'm not afraid to be ahead of the curve to, the, to my own detriment um, my own pocketbook's detriment um, so I think that's that's the true benefit of like, we know more important than knowing what to do is knowing what not to do. Um, and so, you know, we had the first team house in Plano in 2006. Um, wow. And it, it was great for the time, great for content and all that stuff, terrible for the guys. <laughs> and having somebody actually cares is a big difference maker. You know, commoditization of human beings is a terrible thing. And that's what's led to things like, you know, human trafficking and stuff like that. When you think about it from a macro perspective, that perspective is you're treating individuals as means. Yeah, and there's a lot of sports that suffer bad reputation of that. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and it's prevalent, you know, and I, I'm, I'm really happy with our perspective on players. So there's a, a lot goes into it. Recruitment is insane. You know, we've had some of the best players, like Shroud, one of the top streamers in the world, was a backup at 16, 17 years old for our Counter-Strike team in like 2000 and like <laughs> six or something wow. like that. You know, Jordan Nothing Gilbert in Intel ads, huge figure in, in Counter-Strike, was on our CS team in, you know, the early 2000s. Matt, and you know, we also have a platform we call PPO, uh, Insuring for Post-Play Opportunities. So our original Counter-Strike team, Warden is now our team manager, Rambo was our team coach. And so that, that perspective of players as humans and valuable and really investing in a long-term return, even if you want to be business focused, if you're investing in an individual and you're hoping to have a long-term uh, return on that investment. Um, you go for the long run. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's almost, again, it feels commonsensical and, and perhaps it's not when you're focused on other things, but I think it's been really frustrating to see in the space of like, hey, 16, 17 year old kid, we're gonna sap the life yeah. out of you. And then when you can't move your wrist right anymore, or you've got a giant fluid lump above your neck, we're just gonna can you and you can go stream or broadcast. That's or crazy, the health. When I heard when you were talking at Richard Lerma about the health risks of the injury, right, of, of, of playing, and, and 
here in the space uh, you showed us to the team Joel Emily and me you know some places where you have like a place to rest to exercise the rest like there's so many things to it that the average Joe out there would not would not understand or think about yeah and it's frustrating you know like doesn't take you a whole lot of, of brain power to think of like a running back um, his knees are getting pounded it's it's if you think about micro movements of somebody's wrist over a six twelve hour period of time whatever it is that's repetitive stress um, so to look at it and as, as anything other than physical activity is is just totally offensive and there's much more wear and tear in the body in a seated position where you you have a circulatory system <clears throat> that if the blood flow is not going from your your lower legs to your midsection through the circulatory system and up to the brain, you're not getting maximum brain capabilities. You're not using all 10% of your brain function at the same time. You're not getting oxygenated blood to the brain and you're also not getting it to the wrists. You're not getting it to the neck, you're not getting it to the hips. Um, and it, and it, it's long, more long-term damaging than any traditional sport. It's a wonderful study. Dr. Levi Harrison um, had traditionally treated MMA athletes and took on about three to five patients that were professional esports athletes. And he was astonished when he found out that the long-term damage associated with repetitive stress injuries in esports is much worse than the hardcore breakage or strain that you that you have in MMA. Um, and without proper regimen, without proper nutrition, without proper um, sleep, without all of the above, the holistic athlete experience, without a perspective on that, you're just damning these kids and at a younger age, right? I mean, you got people like Faye signing twelve and thirteen-year-old kids, and, and in some respects, violating child labor laws. But right. I won't get too into that. But you know, it's it's unfortunate to see the lack of investment there. It's really hard to watch a guy who's giving you, as an organization, everything he has for four or five years, and all of a sudden he can only move his wrist forty percent of the way around, and then you know. No insurance, no matter of money is going to fix that. He's not going to be able to pick up his grandkids. After yeah. you, after you came and spoke at Lerma, I wanted to go and grab like every gamer that I know by the shoulders and just shake. Like, are you stretching? Are you using a wrist massager? Do you have a nap pod? Like, are you prepared for this? Um, no. So that was something that again, I don't think the average person thinks about. Thinks about, but I mean, it's certainly appreciated that you are. Um, I don't know, paving the way for this unknown injury that is affecting an entire generation of human beings and we just haven't really talked about it yet yeah, yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's good to know that they care no absolutely Especially when you talk about brands yeah coming into the space absolutely making sure that brands are aligning themselves with uh teams and with with products that have similar values and and, and want to be held to to really great standards um so yeah we are a bunch of advertisers in this room <laughs> uh and while we obviously want to be uh advertisers that activate in this space really well are there brands right now that are getting it really right uh or maybe getting it really wrong you don't mm -hmm. have to name names but you can cite examples if you would yeah. like um but yeah I, I, would, I would love to hear more about who is in the space right now and is just absolutely crushing it yeah i think i'll start with people who've done it wrong yeah I love that. <laughs> and it's easier for me more fun to say <laughs> right? yeah, yeah i think Anytime someone makes an assumption, like we talked about earlier, anytime mm -hmm. someone makes an assumption about the audience or thinks that you're standard programming or just that if you think that your brand is just that powerful, um, that the audience is just going to be super receptive no matter what you do. Um, so Bud Light is an example for me. Um, where you think your um, traditional approach to all of your other sports programming, your traditional media mix, your marketing mix, your activations, your executions is all just going to make sense to this audience. You're so far off, it's not even funny. 
and in fact offensive and then this is a really brand loyal audience that's really self-aware and aware of branding and aware of you trying to get them to buy stuff this generation more than any other generation in the past is not like you know caught by jingles and and stuff that works for everybody else so I hated seeing you know them jump into the space and try what they had done everywhere else and try it with so much um, Cockiness. Yeah, you know, like arrogance. It just flat out nothing but arrogance there. And so that was really, really frustrating. And, and others have done that too. I think the people who invest in a community long term, I think what T-Mobile's done in um, with Blizzard, starting with BlizzCon and, and reaching that total Blizzard audience and then finding Overwatch League and making a strong investment there and then expanding that with a, a couple of specific city-centric teams, that kind of crawl, walk, run, or... Um, hum, sing, shout, or however you yeah. want to phrase it, right? Yeah. Like, it was really smart because you get to say, hey, we're interested in you as a fan base, but we're not assuming anything. And I think that's how they read it. And, you know, and after time, it's like, hey, we'll be the Wi-Fi partner and we'll give more data for gamers than we would. Bring value. Yeah. I mean, it's like, dude, it's, it should be that simple, you know? Like, I think um, what Chipotle's done with TSM, where you create a secret menu that's based off the influencers that people are already fans of, and you give them specific discounts for their fandom. Um, I think that's great. I don't think it's great, though, when we force players and influencers to do things that are bad for them. You know, when you force a player to use a specific food food ordering service, or if you force a player to drink X energy or, or soft drink on stream um, in order to satisfy a contract deliverable, um, you know, if it was me and we were doing that with our players, I'd be like, yeah, take a sip, hold it in your mouth, and spit it out. You know, I would never want our guys to be forced. It needs it. to be natural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're if a guy's into it, like a, you know, Miller Lite's really flexible with us. You know, we know no one under twenty one. We know if someone doesn't feel like their audience is, is within that demographic that our players reserve the right to not risk their own community on a partnership. Um, and so we have the ability to be flexible there and be smart there. Um, and that's and that's what's really, really most, that's way more important than should we be spending here or should we not be spending here? That's not the question you should ask. This is an attractive audience no matter who you are. It's a matter of when, it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of how, mm-hmm. more importantly, and why. And why someone would actually care and be genuine, transparent, totally bring value. Yeah, because if you don't, you're just kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not giving a shit. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I really appreciate Juan you bringing us into the space today, but we do have to ask you one relatively hard question. Sure. Uh, this is something that I think has been on a lot of our minds uh, lately. With all of the violence and shootings that's happened uh, very lately, this is being recorded after the uh, El Paso and Ohio shootings. Uh, A lot of times when these horrible incidents happen, video games become a scapegoat for people who want to end violence. Um, As someone who's been in the space for as long as you have, what are your thoughts on that? Is there any validity to that? What What do you think about that scapegoating? Yeah, what an easy thing to do, right? You know, like I, I kind of liken it to anybody who's the product of divorced parents. Is it so much easier for the moms? Like, oh, it's it's because of your dad, and your your dad's like, well, if your mom wouldn't have done that, you know, it's like this whole thing. And like, it's so easy to be like, hey, we don't need to fix anything other than video games. It's like, dude, what a cop out, man. Like, why don't we have a conversation around other? You know, they say there's a correlation, right? Correlation is not causation, but they say there's a correlation of. Everybody who's done one of these things has played a video game in their life. It's like, okay, I bet you they're also on psychoactive pharmaceutical drugs. I bet you there were tons of signs and there a, a poor access to treatment and therapy along the way that could have been addressed well in advance. You know, I think 
someone on our on our team, Drini, is a two-time Madden champion, a wonderful young man. He's only 19, tremendously successful, really smart. He's at the Jacksonville event um, uh, last year, and he is playing the game. They had poor security measures, and somebody who was unstable enters the event, That's isn't cool. scanned for having a weapon. He lost two of his friends and was shot in the hand. Um, and you know, I even, that. Yeah. even today, refusing to compete at an event because the security measures weren't up to par, and obviously, someone who's experienced it, he reserves the right to say, "Just dude, no." Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really frustrating to see that, you know, especially all the way up to the presidential level, you know, making accusations of the the real root of this all is video games, and before that, it was TV, before that, it was radio, before that, it was smut books or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, like, dude, if if the problem is if the problem is that easy, we'd fix it. It's not that easy. You need to fix how much, uh, how much, how little testing is going into psychoactive pharmace- pharmaceuticals. We need to k- take kids off of drugs, like family values. Yeah, like, is something fi- that is not the same anymore. You know, family values is one side of it. Access is a whole other side of it. If mm-hmm. someone's expressing or showcasing signs of depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts or acting or making lists or whatever it is, we've seen this stuff before, and it had nothing to do with gaming. You know, we see this stuff all the time, and it's just you're not giving them access. You're not you're not reading the signs. You're not paying attention to their environment. Um, so I'd I'd like to really flip it around on those people and say, um, where's the regulation on mm-hmm. on your end? Where's the regulation on you know the Second Amendment and more increasing you know increasing background checks? You know, I'm an advocate for the Second Amendment if I'm honest. Um, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be protocols. Right. Absolutely. And I agree. I think I agree with you on that. And kind of going back to what is actually typically at the root of all of these things is hatred. It's anger. It's it's something else that they've been burdening for a long time. And the fact that at this time you are taking young players coming into this space and teaching them about things like racism, yep. homophobia, how to treat other people. And hey, all of these things don't have to exist outside of the world of gaming. You can be a good person in a first-person shooter game. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. They're not. Um, And I think that's so important. So I hope that uh, programs like like what you're doing here at Complexity uh, do get more attention and, and people can understand that video games are not the problem. If anything, we might be making gamer gaming spaces a better place to be in than the actual world if we if we if we play our cards right. Completely agree. Oh wonderful. Yeah. Wonderfully said. Yeah. That's um, the one. You're a guy that would, we would want to keep talking for, for Absolutely. hours. Absolutely, I could be here all day. We went, we went a little bit longer than when we wanted to go, but I think it's like there's so many things around what you do that could be potentially and super interesting for our audience. Uh, we we thank you so much of course. for being part of this. I think if somebody gives a shit about what they do, I think <laughs> I think the way your passion and the way you come through of what you know and how you built this is, is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was great to have you guys. Absolutely. Thank you for, for chatting with us. And thank you to everyone for, for tuning in and listening. We hope you learned a lot. I know I sure did. Uh, you can follow and you can subscribe and comment on this podcast. We would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find this podcast wherever you're listening to it now, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, all of the places where you can get podcasts. We would also love if you tweeted us about what you heard today, or you can go ahead and comment on Richard Larma's Facebook page or our Instagram. I can check that for you if you want. Cam, thank you for being here. This was a great time, and we hope to hear from uh, you again soon. 
Um, is there any way people can reach you, like online, or like they have more questions? Yeah, totally. So Cole CS Cole underscore CSK on Twitter, but you can you can get at me in our Discord, our Complexity Discord. You can hit us up on our website complexity.gg. You can hit us up at Complexity Gaming on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, uh, everywhere. So you can you can hit us up pretty much anywhere. I, I'm not great at responding on Twitter, but any other platform, I'm pretty good about it. <laughs> we can put we can put all of those handles in the description too, so that no Perfect. one's no one's furiously <laughs> typing. <laughs> but uh, but thanks for tuning in today, you guys, and we will talk to you again very soon. Thank you, Joel. Introduction, Emily, Cam. This has been a great episode. Appreciate it.